Wow, beautiful worship time. Thank you so much for singing out Bridge. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you, everyone who's been a part of this service. You ladies were awesome. You guys just brought the heat this morning. Thank Amen. you. Um, so, uh, welcome to the Bridge. Those of you joining us online, um, awesome to have you here. Really, really thrilled to see um, so many here and to hear you worship again. Um, by the way, if you want to hear, if you want to be a part of more worship, we have worship nights coming up. I know it was mentioned earlier, but many have filled in the pews since we had those announcements. Um, worship nights, August 6th. It sounds like it's at 6.30. Marcus will be leading uh, that night as well. And so as you can, as you experienced just a few moments ago, just a powerful time of worship, we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. Um, let me also bring you up to speed a little bit on kind of where we're at um, in our series and where, the, where we're going to be going from, from the pulpit here in the coming weeks. But before I do that, I'm going to pray, and then I'll get into that. Is that all right? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, this gathering here at the bridge. Grateful for your presence uh, through your spirit in this place. Father, come near to us, draw near to us, especially as we uh, partake of communion this morning. And may you, in a special way, inhabit this building and in this place. For it is in Christ's name we pray it. Amen. Amen. So, uh, coming up, uh, the, you guys know we've been in this series called Frames. This morning is the last, uh, the last Frames message. We end the series today. And uh, it's kind of special that Pastor Jeff and I both uh, are going to end the series with you this, this morning. Uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. But we, um, next week, uh, both Pastor Jeff and I will, will be gone. Uh, I'll be taking a little bit of vacation time. Pastor Jeff has some commitments as well, I think, off somewhere, and then some little free time as well, which is important. Um, but next week, we'll have Alfonso Green. Pastor Alfonso Green will be here and, and speak not only for this service, but all three services. So I just want to give you a little heads up. We'll be closing out the Frame series today. Uh, Alfonso Green next week. He is a pastor at Huntsville, Alabama. Um, I forget the name of the church. Huntsville First. Huntsville First, Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, a colleague of Pastor Jeff's in his doctoral program. So that's where they connected and met. He has, uh, he has special connections to uh, Orlando area, Popka in particular, uh, Forest Lake Academy graduate, I believe. So. Um, and so he, he feels uh, very honored that he can come and speak here at the Forest Lake Church. And so next week, Pastor Steve will be helping him uh, in and out of services and, and just uh, help him facilitate, help facilitate him while he's here. But you guys here at the bridge, please make sure you're, you just love on him really good. All right, we want him to have a great experience. Amen? Amen. Are you with me, bridge people? Come on. I, I, that's not enough, people. What's <laughs> wrong with y'all? My goodness. Anyway, so, um, so that's what's coming next week. But for this week, um, there's no question that the last couple of weeks in our culture, in our broader context of this world, so much has been going on. Um, in particular, as it relates to um, uh, relationships between uh, people of different uh, backgrounds and, and cultures, in particular, and races. And there's a, there's a heightened tension around our, our country. And as pastors, we have to be attuned to that. What's going on? What's happening? And as pastors, every now and then we have to sort of call an audible so that we can not just be pastors who have our heads stuck in the sand and we just sort of ignore the larger realities of our culture and what's going on around us. And so, 
Pastor Jeff and I uh, realized that we did not want to be those pastors who were out of touch and irrelevant and just sort of ignored everything going on around us because we recognize that you live and operate in the real world. Mm -hmm. And those realities impact you and they affect you. They impact us and they affect us in different ways. Um, we have different stories that we all uh, come from and backgrounds and realities. And so we wanted to, um, in our own way, in the context of our series in particular on frames, we wanted to just speak into that a bit. And even in, con in conjunction with and in alignment with our communion service, what could, the, what, what could it mean for us or what does it mean for us to be the body of Christ, to be unified as the body of Christ. So our frame, you know we've been taking uh, these, the doctrines of the fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We call, we've been uh, referring to them as these frames that, um, that, we, that we teach and that we know and that we believe in. But it's not so much just about the doctrine itself. It's not so much about this fundamental belief uh, as much as it is what emerges in that frame, what comes to life, what, what picture is seen in that frame. And what we've emphasized over and over, that if we just have the frame, but it doesn't help us to clearly see Jesus Christ, then we've missed the point of that belief. That, that anything that we're about as a church, uh, a fundamental belief or, or any practice that we, we, we do in the church, ultimately comes back to paint a picture, to put a picture in that frame that shows us Jesus as the center of our faith. Wherever we come at it from, Jesus emerges in the frame, and that's what we've attempted to do. So we've talked about the experience of salvation, uh, where we clearly articulated that Jesus is um, responsible for our salvation. You and I are not, right? Uh, he is the one who saves. Um, and then we, we actually talked about possibly doing this, uh, the unity in the body of Christ, which is one of our fundamental beliefs, one of our frames. We actually talked about doing it a few weeks ago. But it landed, we adjusted things, and we did baptism a couple of weeks ago. Um, instead, we went experience of, experience of salvation, baptism, and now we're going to do this uh, fundamental belief, unity in the body of Christ. And how appropriate, we didn't necessarily plan this, but we felt like it would be extremely appropriate to talk about unity in the body of Christ in the context of the larger narratives that are going, around, going on in our culture today that have created tension and mind you even tension within the body of Christ even tension as early as this morning at first service or after first service we're doing this at all three services by the way um, so that's kind of the setup that I wanted to give you and I'm going to read through the unity in the body of Christ uh, fundamental belief so grab a hold of this with me and just and just read along with me um, <clears throat> it's number number 14 it says this the church is one body with many members, called from every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. In Christ, we are a new creation. Distinctions of race, culture, learning, and nationality, and differences between high and low, rich and poor, male and female, must not be divisive among us. We are all equal in Christ, who by one spirit has bonded us into one fellowship with him and with one another. We are to serve and be served without partiality or reservation. Through the revelation of Jesus Christ in the scriptures, we share the same faith and hope and reach out in one witness to all. This unity has its source in the oneness of the triune God 
who has adopted us as his children. So, there's the, there's the fundamental belief. And again, Pastor Jeff and I felt like this week in particular, as we dive into this fundamental belief in light of what's going on in our world today, we wanted to demonstrate unity. We wanted to be together. And as you'll hear in just a little bit, we both have different narratives and different stories. But there is one common narrative that unites us, that brings us together, that indeed makes us brothers. And we will talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, I really appreciate it, as Pastor Jeff articulated this morning in first service, um, just, just a message that is truly, truly bold and powerful. So I asked them to take a, a larger role in, uh, in our service today, and we'll just kind of go back and forth a bit, but I think you'll appreciate what we have to share. So Pastor Jeff. So there's a psalm, Psalm 133, verse 1, that says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. That's a great psalm, and, and I'll bet you know this experience. You've been with the people of God, and, and we were united, and there was some worship experience or understanding or something driving the community, and you just feel this connection and this warmth and this oneness, and it's an amazing experience. It's so much more than you ever would know all by yourself. I love it when that happens, and sometimes it seems to just happen. It doesn't even seem to be that hard, but it seems like in those times when the community resonates like that and it works, it's because our narratives that we're living by, the stories that we're bringing, they're in good alignment. There's something about it that just seems like we're all having the same experience. And when that happens, it's like the doctrine says, yes, 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 that's who we are, that's who we want to be. These distinctions seem to go away. But then sometimes something happens, and within the community of Christ, we're not seeing it the same way. you got one part of the community having one experience, another part of the community having another experience, and all of a sudden there's tension. And all of a sudden this idea of being good and pleasant to live together, <laughs> yeah, not feeling that. So what do we do when our stories differ? Because this happens. This is real. There are times when our actual life experience causes us to view the exact same event from a completely different perspective. And I think we have encountered one of those times. So in light of the events that, that transpired in Baton Rouge and in St. Paul in the last week, or the week before last, where where a couple of young men, or a couple of men, they weren't so completely young, but were, were killed in the context of an interaction with law enforcement. And then in the aftermath of that, in response, a number of police officers would be killed in the line of duty. It became pretty clear to us as we experienced this and as we watched others in our community experiencing this, that these events, which are singular in nature, I mean, they happened to all of us, yet they impacted us in uneven ways, to the point where today there are parts of our community saying, yes, it's horrible, but can't we move on? And there's other parts of our community saying, why in the world are we not addressing these things when they happen? So you see tension. And in the context of that, 
Pastor Bernie and I thought maybe this was a good day to ask ourselves a series of rhetorical questions. So we have four of those. You want to read those for us? Yeah. And I, these, are, these are rhetorical. These, but hear these well and let them, let them sink in. Am I more interested in doing what it takes to be united or am I more interested in being right? Am I willing to admit not everyone's experience has been the same as mine and things I dismiss as fantasy might be reality for someone else? What if what, it seems, to, what, if what seems to me to be an anecdotal anomaly is to someone an illustration of the norm? And lastly, can I believe that someone who doesn't know my reality can still be my brother or my sister? So, in these, with these questions, um, we're going to share a bit of our own stories. Um, the context, and, and, and basically these are, con- these are situations uh, related to the situations that have been going on in our, in our culture and in our world, where there's an interaction with uh, police, with law enforcement. And again, these narratives are different, which begin to shape the way we interact with the stories that go on in our culture and in our world, and thus create some level of tension. But what cannot be dismissed is the reality that we are coming to the table from different narratives and different perspectives. And how we relate to how each other come to the table in relation to these stories is absolutely vital, particularly in the body of Christ. We may not see this same reaction uh, by people in the culture, in the secular world, if you will. We may not see the reaction we would expect, the same reaction that we would expect from Christians, but in fact, we often do see the same reaction from people um, in the community, from Christians uh, in the same way that the secular culture uh, speaks about some of these things. So I'm going to let Pastor Jeff speak a little bit about his story, talk about his, his uh, bit of a backstory as he's interacted with law enforcement, and then you'll be able to see a little bit of the contrast in the way we come to uh, these situations ourselves. So I know most of you probably have assumed and thought that Pastor Bernie and I are practically identical, Um, but there are some differences if you didn't know that. I'm a little taller than he is, for one thing, and though it looks like I have more hair, technically he does, he just shaves it off. So there are differences between us. There may be some others, but those are the only ones that are coming to my mind right now. He's kind of partial to ties every week. There you go. I wear ties each week. So, but, but the point of that being... We've had some similar background, and we both ended up being pastors, and we both got into a certain amount of trouble as young people, but neither of us got into a ton of trouble. Yet, as we were sharing and talking this week, we were talking about uh, our own experiences interacting uh, primarily in the context of interacting with law enforcement, and often the context in which that takes place uh, has to do with driving and, and traffic and uh, breaking rules on the road and things like that. And, and we were just sharing in our own experiences the differences even in that one setting. Even though our behaviors have not radically differed, our experiences have. 
Now, recognizing there's a Jeff narrative, there's a Bernie narrative, and then there's a whole other narrative, and that's the narrative of those police officers that we've encountered in different contexts who are bringing a whole other set of things that neither of us understand completely to these encounters. But let me just tell you about my experience. When I first got my driver's license, when I was 16 years old, we were living in Georgia, and I was on my way on back roads in, in the back country of North Georgia, driving along, making better time than I should have. And uh, I happened upon a Georgia State trooper coming the other direction on a two-lane road. And uh, he was more than happy to make a U-turn and come up behind me and pull me over on that little road and tell me that you're not actually allowed to go 72 in a 55. So that was good for me to know. I needed to know that. And uh, so he came up to my car, and I'm still kind of new at all of this. And so here I am. I'm, I'm back country, North Georgia, pulled over by a state trooper. Now, nothing in the dynamic of that causes me any particular stress at all except the fact that this is going to cost me. But I suspect if Bernie were North Georgia backcountry, pulled over by a state trooper, there might be a little more on the table in the back of his mind than there was in mine. So the officer comes up to the car, and he's polite, he's, he's being nice to me, and I'm, meanwhile, I'm rummaging all over the car, I'm reaching in every possible place, because I can't find the registration, I can't find the proof of insurance, I've never been pulled over before, I don't know how to do this, I'm fumbling for my wallet, I'm all over the place. But no amount of my moving around or doing things with my hands has made him nervous at all. He's just standing there waiting for this foolish kid to get done. And I finally get all my material and I hand it to him and he faithfully writes me a ticket and I didn't get off. I never get off. That's one thing. I never get off. I always get fine. So I had this encounter and so it goes in my memory bank of what happens when you encounter the police. You get fined. But that's it. That's all I took from that. Now, there were other incidents, not a ton of them, but a few. And, but, but one in particular that was a great frustration to me happened later on when I was a pastor. I had moved, and I hadn't changed my license plate in time. You know, you're supposed to do that pretty soon after you move. But I, I, didn't, I just didn't do it. And not only that, it had technically expired <laughs> by about four months. <laughs> But, you know, that's a detail, right? And so I'm in Alexandria, Virginia, and I'm driving along, and I get pulled over. And actually, it turns out it was an African-American officer that pulled me over. But I, I don't remember that seeming relevant to me at all. But he pulled me over, and he came up to the window, and he asked me to explain, and I really didn't have a good explanation. And then you know what he did? I could not believe it. He did exactly what I deserved, and that still makes me mad. Um, he, he impounded my car. I thought, Really? You're going to leave me here just walking? You know, and I even argued with him a little bit. And he went back and forth. And anyway, he impounded my car. But through that whole event, as frustrated as I was, and as much as a pain as it was to get it back, and how much I had to pay for the fine and get everything done, I never once worried for my life. Now, I tell you that because that's my story. That's my experience. And so when I hear a story of a traffic stop that escalates to the point of someone being killed, that doesn't go into the category with me of normal. 
that goes into the category of an anomalous anecdotal situation because it does not align with my experience. So when I hear that story, my first thought is, by default, something strange must have happened for it to end that way. Now, don't hate me for thinking that way. My experience has taught me to think that way. And to think any other way requires me to step outside of my experience to do it. That's my experience. That's what it leads me to when these things happen. And that's why I view the events that happened from that spot if I don't step out of it. Now, Bernie, tell yours. Yeah, so my narrative, my story is um, a bit different in the way that I perceive and I potentially if I happen to get pulled over, have to interact with, uh, with law enforcement. So let me preface my comments with just by saying this. My context for ministry has often been, I'm, I'm going on, this is my 23rd year of pastoral ministry. The majority of that time has been spent in the context of largely Caucasian churches. Uh, either that or they've been somewhat uh, diverse, rather diverse. And so when these conversations come up for me, it... it it grieves me. Um, the, the, the stories that have happened grieved me. The stories um, have, have, I've mourned them. I've been frustrated. I've been angry at times. Uh, even this morning as, as we've been talking about this, I've sort of had this anticipation and a bit of anxiety even because what I don't want to have happen is for anyone uh, coming to our services to sense that in any way we are attacking or attempting to uh, cause division in any way, even though we may not have any control over your reaction to these conversation, conversations. So I come to it with this understanding, that you are my church family. Mm-hmm. You are my brothers and my sisters, regardless of the shade of your skin. And I hope you understand that. So as I share this story, it is about it, it, is, it is my contribution to our, our collective narrative. And, and so hear this from a heart that is, that is united with yours, not attempting to divide in any way. Um, so I, I, I'll, take it, I'll take it from um, probably the most vivid memory I have. I was about 10 years old. spent a lot of time with my grandparents because my parents were often working or going to school. So I'm always dropped off at grandma and grandpa's house and love, love, love them dearly. Um, and my grandparents were the first family to integrate a largely Caucasian suburb in southwest Little Rock. And um, I basically went with them as they integrated that, that suburb. And I'll never forget, there was a 4th of July, and our house became the target of all the fireworks. Um, uh, uh, it, it, was, it was crazy. Uh, we, had a, we had a water hose out, and we would, we would spray it down because of everyone coming by. They would shout out words that I won't say in church and say things. But we were the target because we were the African-American family uh, newly integrating this suburb. Uh, but the thing that stands out to me uh, quite significantly is an interaction with law enforcement that my grandfather had. So we're, we're on the road, a little two-lane road. And we're actually heading to a different part of town. We're leaving our little suburb, but on the way, we're going along, and emergency vehicles pull up behind us. And it's law that when those emergency vehicles pull up, you're supposed to move over, get out of the way, right? Let them pass. My grandfather knows that. 
um, and, but we couldn't. There were ditches on this side. We couldn't go to the other side because just two lanes we hit on go, go, coming traffic. So, so when he got to a place where he could pull off to the side of the road, he did. The fire trucks passed by and a couple of the other accompanying vehicles passed by. But one officer pulled in behind us. And his lights were still going along. And he hopped out of the car very, very quickly. And his partner hopped out as well, and he moved a little bit slower. But this one officer, it was clear that he was a bit, uh, he was a bit upset with the whole situation. So he gets up to the car, to the side of the vehicle. My grandfather brings his window down. My grandmother's in the front seat next to him. I'm in the back with a couple of my aunts and cousins or whatever. And he just lays into my grandfather. I have enormous respect and love for my grandfather. He's, he's passed away now, but this man is just a giant in my heart and in my life. And I see this young officer, young white officer, just go after him. Total disrespect. It was just, it was just wrong on so many levels. He gets out, my grandfather gets out of the car, stands up. He probably stands a little bit taller than this kid. And the kid is sticking his finger and calling him boy and all these sorts of things. Now, my grandfather's a bit more passive in these situations. And you got to understand, he experienced a lot of this. That, this was not just an episode for him. This was the norm in his narrative and in his story. And same for my grandmother because they grew up through a period in our country that was just overt all the time. But he's a little bit more passive and he's, he's trying to de-escalate the situation. My grandmother, on the other hand, Mama B, she is, she is something. She keeps a knife in her purse. <clears throat> And, and she is ready to get it done right now. She said, we can go, all right? And so she reaches in her purse for this knife. And we all see that. My older aunts, or, who are more clued into what's going on, they step in and say, no, 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 Grandma, you can't do that. We can't, we can't fight with police officers. You certainly can't stab them, all right? So, <laughs> you know, so, so they, they begin to, you know, de-escalate and eventually... You know, we were able to go about our way. I think my grandfather did get ticketed and so forth. And it was just, it was just awful. And for me, as I would grow up and have to get pulled over, and I got pulled over plenty of times when I got my license, there was this story in the back of my mind. The other thing that sort of, that balances it a bit is that I grew up in a military home, my, my father's career Navy, and both my parents taught me um, to respect authority in particular to respect the uniform. And that may be a military uniform or a police officer's uniform. Respect, respect, respect. Give them their due honor. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I saw this officer disrespecting my grandfather and treating him that way. And I understood that it was because he was an African-American. So I had this sense of show respect for the uniform, but I also had this sense of anxiety and potential tension that this could escalate and I could be treated the same way. And how would I respond and what would happen to me? So no, um, no traffic stop is routine. And as I would learn, particularly as we pastored in Utah, I would learn that, yeah, I would get pulled over for simply for driving while being black. That was just a reality. I joked in the first service, I was like, well, maybe they just pulled me over to see up close in African-American because there weren't that many in Utah, but, uh, but I don't know. But that's the reality of, of my story, and, and that's what I come to this, these larger stories in our, in our country with. So there's a third story that we don't know, and that's the story 
that a police officer brings to an encounter. And they have a whole context and a whole reality of life experience spent in a difficult field that brings to them, added to it, a bias or whatever it is that creates these dynamic scenarios. So these are the stories that we live in because they are our stories. They are where we've come from. And, and oftentimes things go along and our background stories are not such that they set us at odds. But every now and then events transpire when we suddenly find ourselves viewing things very differently. You can see how you would approach it differently if you see an encounter like that as an anomaly or as a norm. And your responses, what is an appropriate response, are found in that. So we're in full acknowledgement of the reality of the day we live in and the realities that take place that divide us. However, we're also in search of the larger story, the greater reality around which we find unity and through which we view each other in these times when our narratives leave us in different places. And I want to tell you what that story is that I believe brings us together and gives us the lens by which we can view each other appropriately when we find ourselves that far apart based on our narrative. And it, there's a lot of versions of it, but one of them goes like this. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This is the story we share, and this is an experience we share. We share a Savior who gave his life for us, regardless of whether we were Jewish or not. He gave his life for us. And this changes us in a way that has to alter how we view each other. And based on this story that Pastor Bernie and I have in common, how does this story of Jesus and what he's done shape how I view his narrative from my perspective and how he views my narrative from his perspective? Well, I think 2 Corinthians 5.16 says it best. Hang on to this. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Now, this doesn't say that suddenly my context and narrative has become all understanding. It hasn't. I still know my experience, and Bernie still knows his experience. But the story of Jesus says I'm not allowed to view his experience narrowly through my own worldly view. And he's not allowed to view mine the same way either. Something about the story of Jesus has to bring us to a new enlightenment and a new way we view each other. So what is the worldly way and what is the new way? We're not here to answer all the questions. You'll have to wrestle with that. But there is an action we can take. And we will take it today that demonstrates 
this new way. Pastor Bernie, show us what we're going to do. So we really wanted a, an encounter sort of a thing to happen between us this morning. So we're going to partake of communion, but we're going to do it a little bit differently and allow you to serve one another. We've prepared here uh, the emblems in such a way that you can receive them, but we don't want you to hang on to them yourselves. Um, we, want you to, we want you to interact with someone else, and we want you to actually pass these emblems off and serve one another. This is, this is a celebration of this common story, the common narrative, narrative that we have, that is the shed blood of Jesus, the broken body of Jesus. So we're going to have deacons spread out around uh, the, the lower section here of the sanctuary as well as in the balcony. And what you're going to receive, um, what you're going to be allowed to come up and receive, is just this vial that contains the juice, symbolic of Jesus' shed blood, and then this little packet of bread uh, that you see here. And then as you receive that, you're going to take it and find someone else and what we want you to do is, is in, a, in a verbal way, affirm this shared story, this common narrative that we have. We're going to put the words on the screen for you. As you pass these emblems off to the person that you will share them with, you're going to say these. These are the symbols of our shared story of unity. Their response should be, mine are the same as yours. All right? You see that interaction there. So we... Um, we want you to have that interaction, this sort of um, activity to, to embrace this common story that we share. Pastor Jeff and I will take our baskets. We'll be right down front. Then we'll, uh, once everyone's been served, we'll come back and we'll partake of the emblems together. We're going to pray over them first. Pastor Jeff will pray over the bread. Then I'll pray over the juice. And then we will serve one another this morning. Father in heaven, we're gathered here around these symbols of our unity, even in the midst of our differing narratives that could cause us from a worldly view to see each other as being at odds. Lord, we confess that spirit within our hearts. And any time we have not been merciful to one another or stood up for one another when we should have. And we see in the body of Jesus the embodiment of what it means to stand up for people, even standing up for people who weren't even following. And so in this bread, Lord, help us to discern your body and by receiving it, discern our connection with each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Father and our God, we take this, these emblems of your shed blood as representative of the blood that would cleanse us from our sin and save us. And we're grateful for that part of the story in particular. But it's also a story of a new covenant, a new promise, a new agreement between us that we will love one another, that we will not only love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we will love one another, those whom we share a common story with. And so we pray over this little symbol, this juice, representative of your blood that was shed for all of us, regardless of race or culture or background. And we claim it, and we believe in it, and we trust in it. And may it be, may it be a symbol of the bond that is shared between all of us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So I invite you to take uh, 
your package that has the bread in it, and open it up and realize as you do, this was a gift to you by a brother or a sister of this place who shares this story of faith with you. And as you take this, recognize this is the body of Christ broken for us. Receive it in faith. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup and he drank of the wine. Remember, this again is symbolic of that new promise, that new agreement with God that says that the person sitting next to you is also a child of God with their own stories and with their own narratives. Live in such a way to honor them in the same way that you honor Christ. Take this and drink. So we have some passages that we want to leave you with. These passages will serve as the benediction um, as, we, as, we be, as we prepare to, take, uh, to leave this place. And so Pastor Jeff will read first, and then I'll read the last couple of passages. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ forgave you. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So as we leave this place, let us do so in this same spirit of which Scripture talks about right here. So I don't want you just to simply walk out and continue your own story, but in just a small symbol of a, uh, of, of a sign of unity between brothers and sisters. As you leave, as you are dismissed, go up to someone and just extend to them a warm hug, a sign of love and connection and a shared story through Jesus Christ from which we just partake of a communion symbolic uh, of that love that we share with one another. Go in peace. Amen.